Hi, I'm Jacqueline Goddard and this is Attica's Arts Creative Conversations podcast, where I talk to business and charity leaders about creativity and how they use it at work and at play. My guest this week is performer and managing director of theatre company Degenerate Fox, Laura Colleen. Enjoy. So welcome, Laura Colleen, to my podcast, Creative Conversations. And uh, Laura, you are the Managing Director at Degenerate Fox Theatre Company. So tell us a, a little bit about Degenerate Fox. What's, what is that? Yes, what is that? What a name. Um, <laughs> yes, where did the name come from? I'm very interested, actually. Oh, the name came from um, a lot of us sitting in a room for many hours trying to figure out what the hell to call this strange theatre company we were putting forward. Um, and Degenerate Fox is what we came up with. So we've stuck with it. Um, but first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to, to meet you and get to talk to you about this. Um, so Degenerate Fox are a theatre company we've been performing since uh, April 2017 and we are uh, a neo-futurist theatre company which I'll probably explain later in our conversation um, and we're um, the only neo-futurist theatre company in Europe. Um, we perform 30 plays in 60 minutes, all the plays are two minutes long and we've got a clock on stage when we perform in person. When we perform online we have a clock on the screen and the clock counts down the 60 minutes throughout the show and we have to try to perform all 30 within the given time. The twist is that the audience picks the order that we perform the plays in so um, we never know what's coming next, what play will affect the next one. And um, it's very much gamified theatre. The audience is very much involved, uh, very much in control. Um, so it's lots of fun. And as a theatre company, we are, I think we are 16 members. Uh, we've got people from six of the world's seven continents. We have members who are LGBTQIA plus and uh, some of whom are disabled as well. And so we are um, an interesting little bunch of people just trying to make some creativity. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, amazing. I looked at the website and I, first of all, because I, I have been part of sort of uh, smaller fringe theatre companies and uh, there's only ever sort of been about four of us. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it was amazing to, to look at the website and see that there are so many of you and so many of you on stage at the same yeah. time, um, bearing in mind that obviously when we were able to get into, uh, into venues, you're in sort of pub, uh, pub spaces, which are quite small. Yeah. Um, so how, how did, do you audition for people to, to become part of the theatre company? How does it mm -hmm. work? Yeah, so usually uh, pre-COVID, we would hold auditions annually um, and we'd ask people to kind of bring their stories. We'd give them a framework of um, what neo-futurism is and how we work. And we'd ask them to bring their own two minute play about their lived experience. Um, and we'd be looking for people who, um, you know, have some element of performance prowess, whether that's just being able to project, project their voice from the stage or make eye contact with somebody in the audience or whatever it may be. But really, we, we don't look for actors necessarily. We look for people because we, um, so part of neo-futurism is that we are always us, which means that whenever I perform in our show, The Dirty 30, I am always Laura. I'm always Laura Colleen. It will always be my lived experience that I'm talking about. If I give an opinion, if I say I love potatoes, it's because I love potatoes as Laura. I'm not, I'm not playing a character. So we're looking for um, 
people who have something to say, but we're also, as a company, looking for an opportunity to give a platform to a voice that may not necessarily have it otherwise in the London theatre scene. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got about sixteen members, but um, our shows we rotate. So there'll be let's say six people on stage for each show, but it might be six completely different people every time you come to see it. Yeah. So when you say they are new plays, mm -hmm. how, how, how are they? I, I mean, is it <laughs> improvisation? I, I saw from the website that you have like a washing line. Yes. So yeah. are they titles of plays? Have yeah. you got some kind of idea of what each play is or are yeah. you improvising? No, no, it's no improvisation at all. Every play is completely scripted and rehearsed. Wow. So what we usually do is we have our 30 plays the titles of those plays are written on pieces of paper on a clothesline. So we've got 30 pieces of paper numbered one to 30 with the titles. At the end of each play, we say curtain, and that's the audience's cue to shout the number of the play they want to see next. So we'll run to the clothesline, grab the number, pull it down, say the title, get ready, say go, do the play, say curtain, grab the next number. Um, but we, so we've got 30 plays and what we usually do is we roll a dice at the end of our shows. So we perform on a Friday and Saturday, we'll roll a six-sided die and let's say a four and a five are thrown, four on Friday, five on Saturday, we'll remove at least nine plays from the 30. So by the next time we perform, we have written plays, we've pitched them to each other, we pick the plays we want to go into the show, we rehearse them and then we're ready with our new 30 plays each time. Wow. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm all about play and this is, you know, a lot of what I do in my classes with, uh, with adults, with children, with uh, people with disabilities, learning, learning disabilities, it's all about play, you know, and, and play opens up the mind. It makes us so creative. I mean, it's just, everybody should do it from whatever walk of life. You know, people come, come to me uh, for, for whatever coaching and I'll ask them to start improvising and you can see the fear on their faces. Yeah. But actually, you know, once they start doing it, it's just a joy, isn't it? I mean, you must get that in your rehearsal room all the time. And that's what I used to love about acting more than anything else was the rehearsal process because mm -hmm. it was just so much fun. Yeah, it's lovely as well. Um, the added element of the plays playing with each other and the audience playing with the plays because yeah. we might have a play where everyone has to drag up and perform in drag. And then we'll have a play about something incredibly serious that's really happened in somebody's life. And then there they're standing in drag, performing a monologue about it. Yeah. Um, and it's the audience who are in control of that. And you see the delight in their faces of, of them being like, we made that happen. We, we did that. We're the reason that's the way it is. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And so do you get the same people coming along several times to yeah definitely. you know I noticed that that your thing is if if you've seen it if you've seen it once you've seen it once exactly so that you know each time an audience member comes into the space they they see a different a different version absolutely even if they were to come on the Friday and Saturday of the same weekend the 30 plays would be in a different order because the audience is picking them so yeah. just like those plays are influencing each other it would be a completely different show sometimes it's incredible how different the show on the Friday and Saturday can feel um but yes we have 
some audience members we've got a really amazing community around us i have to say we're very lucky um and we've got some people who come to every single show we've got um there's a wonderful couple who come to see our show and they're like we figured out the algorithm for like the, the amount of turnover of plays that we, we know we'll see x amount of new plays but we'll still have our favorites and the menu will probably be there um so yeah we've got an amazing amazing uh repeat audience uh and community but then something that's been amazing about what we've done in lockdown is that we've now done such an amount of natural audience development yeah um, that we've got so many new people who have never heard of us never heard of how we performed before never experienced anything like it but they're just willing to try something new and they're joining us and joining our community which is incredible yeah I mean that's what's been amazing for me certainly in in lockdown is suddenly it's global mm. you know I know the the Rosemary Branch that, that obviously you perform in as a as a company is you know it's there in in amongst Islington and then it's sort of Old Street and all around that mm. that space so you're there for for the people of London which is is great and that's a far enough reach as it is and I'm sure you get people coming in from from all over the country but then moving online how, how has that changed things uh, just in dynamics with the audience I mean in terms of accessibility the accessibility you're talking about it has that's probably been the biggest change I think and um, it, accessibility physically because as you say Rosemary Branch Theatre is our um, is where we're a resident theatre company and it is such a beautiful theatre such a lovely pub incredible people running it and working there um, but the, the reality is that the theatre space is up a, a steep narrow flight of stairs so there are people that we're automatically precluding the opportunity of being able to, to see our show when we perform it there. So just the physical accessibility of anybody being able to look at a screen and watch our show has been an amazing thing for us to open up to. And then geographically, it's so gratifying that there are, are people in our company whose families have never seen them perform wow. this way and now they're able to. We've got people staying up late in Australia to watch their son-in-law do, you know, the thing that he loves to do. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then honestly, there's, there's a, an element of financial accessibility as well because our overheads are much lower being able to perform online. And we are the sole producers of our show now. So we're not working on a box office split. So we're able to offer a lower ticket price knowing that we'll still be able to pay our performers and the people that work on our show. Yeah. Um, so the accessibility has been um, actually a really important difference, I think, in the way that we're putting our show forward. It's something that all of us need to, need to hold more space for, I think, in what we're offering to the world, especially with everything that we have been learning as communities in 2020, um, I think accessibility is really key. I'm so glad that we've been able to tap into some of it. We've obviously got more work to do, it's all a journey, but I'm really glad we've done what we've yeah. done. I mean, if, if nothing else that comes out of this, this ho sort of horrible time that everyone's going through, I mean, it's just amazing that we've been able to do that and people have adapted so fast. Mm -hmm. that, you know, hopefully this, this will never go away now. You know, we're never going to lose this. Absolutely. Know. We'll come out the other side and yes, we'll get back to theatres and we'll get back to performing face to face. Mm -hmm. But this is this is another option now. And it's... And it's well, yeah, it's... I, I don't, that, that's a really interesting piece for me, honestly, because ever since we did our first online show, 
we've had people asking if we'll continue to perform online mm. when we can go back into a theatre. And I mean, it, it, it all remains to be seen. We don't know what's happening next week, let alone next year. Um, that's just the way that we're living at the moment. Um, yeah. But it's that I, I read a study that Facebook for Business did uh, in December last year, and it said that 42% of consumers who had watched an online performance, the theatrical or gig for the first time during lockdown, said they could imagine themselves doing so for years to come. So I wonder if there's just an adjustment that's happened in terms of the spectator now where, um, you know, it's also going into a theatre, like it can be quite an intimidating space yeah. for a lot yeah. of people. And knowing that you can be at home, you can press a button, you don't need to be seen, you can leave whenever you want if you yeah. if you don't like it or you're not enjoying it. Maybe there's, um, that's another level of accessibility now that we don't want to let go of. But as you say, like the lessons that we have learned, regardless of whether we continue performing online, these are lessons that we can carry forward to share our work in yeah. the future. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's brilliant. I think it's been, um, I think it's been great as well for people's wellbeing. You know, not not just the audience, but the creators <laughs> and the artists as well, because otherwise, you know, what would we do? Yeah, totally. <laughs> go, you know, oh, go mad, really. I mean, it just to to have to have something to create and and be able to continue doing that through yeah. through this, I think, has has helped both the audiences and the artists. So yeah, we before we performed uh, before we just transitioned our show to online live, we created a YouTube channel to um, create two minute long kind of original neo-futurist films. And we were, um, we were releasing one every other day. I think we did 70 in the end. We were doing it for quite a few months in the first lockdown. And it started out as a way for us to stay in contact with our audience and communities. And during the process of it, I realized it was, probably a way for us to stay in touch with each other honestly yeah, yeah. to keep creating and keep feeling vital and vibrant and alive and um it really when you say well-being yeah it like it really went a long way to help me get through that first lockdown just being able to stay connected and in touch with each other yeah. so have you found in uh, in lockdown that the writing has adapted to this sort of new new mm. world is the writing that's coming out uh reflecting what's going on around people well we definitely uh enjoy some abstract work <laughs> and i think our minds have had um the space to go even more abstract probably in lockdown um it's an interesting question i hadn't thought about this before because we are writing about our lived experience and what's happening now and obviously there's so much stasis at the moment um so I think the writing must have changed. I mean, a huge change has been that we're theatre makers now creating in the language of film. Yeah. And our frame is set and our stage is completely different. So um, that means that there are boundaries to what we're able to do, but there's nothing you know, more inspiring to creativity than a boundary. Um, but it also means that there are new possibilities in what we're able to convey and how we can communicate it in this new medium. So um, that's that's for sure been a massive change in the writing. Yeah. 
yeah. So just while we're on the, the subject of the writing, tell us a little bit what, yeah, what's your explanation of neo-futurist? How, oh, sure. And how did that come around? Why, why did you decide that this is the way the, the theatre company should go? Sure. So um, neo-futurism is a aesthetic of performance creation, um, which has four tenets, like four rules, really. So the first one is we are us. Um, which I've kind of explained, like I'll always be Laura when I perform, unless I explicitly put a massive sticker on that says Donald Trump, and then I'm performing as Donald Trump. Um, so we are so we're writing from our own lived experience. Um, we are here. So usually that means we are on the stage in a theatre. You are an audience member. You are in front of me. If I try to look out into the distance across the horizon, I can't because the back wall of the theatre is there. Like this is really where we are. Now it means I am in my guest bedroom slash home office or, you know, Henry's in his hallway or Sergio's in his kitchen. Like it's, you know, and it also means we are in completely different geographical places and we're not trying to pretend that we're not either. Uh, the third is the time is now. So um, we are performing about now today. When we perform, we don't pretend it's the past. We don't pretend it's the future. Um, and that also means that if I write a play about something that happened to me three months ago that was very dramatic why am I performing it today because it's not relevant to what's happening now um, and then the fourth one is we are doing what we're actually doing so being that everything that we're performing is kind of as truthful as possible if I'm drinking a cup of tea it's it's tea and if in the show I'm down in a glass of red wine it's really red wine you know if you see blood it's real it's we're not trying to, there's no fourth wall in what we're doing. We're not trying to create artifice. We're trying to, to perform and convey in this, in this real aesthetic that we've got. And um, the way that it came about that we perform um, as neo-futurists is, um, so the form was created in Chicago over 30 years ago. There's a company, the Chicago, well, the neo-futurists, the originals, um, they have been performing ever since. They're performing online at the moment during lockdown as well. Um, then the aesthetic moved down to New York and there's a company, the New York neo-futurists, they've been performing for it'll be 16 years this year. San Francisco started, they're, they're about a decade old and two members of the New York company moved over to London and decided to create the London Neo-Futurists. So I was one of the people that auditioned for them um, in uh, the kind of first wave of creating the company. Um, and that was in, oh gosh, 2016, autumn of 2016. They, they brought a couple more New York Neo-Futurists over. They did a three week run at the Rosemary Branch Theatre. And I had, um, I was on Facebook one day and I saw a friend of mine say something like, if you've never seen this, this kind of performance before, you need to do it, just kind of as a Facebook status out to the world. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then a couple of hours later, another friend posted about it. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I should, I should just go and check them out. And I went to see the show. I took some friends with me. And at the end of the performance, they said, we're having our last auditions tomorrow. If, um, you know, if you wanna come and be a part of what we do. And I just went, yeah yeah I want to do that this looks like so much fun like it was the most fun I'd ever seen people have on stage and um, so I auditioned the next morning um and yeah the rest is history as they say yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
that's it's, it's, like, it's yeah. those it's those signs you were you were meant to you were meant to do it you were meant to be there but you've got a um a, a background from new york you you lived in new york for for a I while how did, how did that come about how did that come about jackie <laughs> um i uh well i left secondary school and i didn't want to go to university. I knew that I wanted to do something in performance, but I didn't want to go to drama school. It was just my 18 year old opinion. And um, I tried out different acting techniques uh, in little short courses while I was working in restaurants in London. And I found the Meisner technique and I started reading about it and found out that the school that the technique was created at was in New York. So I applied and then I, I got in and I went over there and I had never wanted to live in America. I'd never, I, I mean, I grew up in London. I loved London so much, uh, still do. And um, yeah, I'd never really intended to move anywhere. Um, but I moved to New York and I was supposed to be there for nine months doing the first year of the course. Um, and then I got asked back to do the second year. And I thought, well, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And then I got another visa and another visa and nine months turned into about seven years altogether. Um, and I had amazing adventures. You know, I, I went to an incredible acting school. I interned at uh, the Juilliard School, which is a performing arts school over there. Um, met amazing people. I started a late night queer variety show with my friend Sam, who was an amazing drag queen. Um, you know, I, I traveled all over America, but it, it, yeah, really none of it was intentional. It all just kind of one choice then became, here's another choice presented in front of me. And then you make that choice and here's another choice. And it's, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was lots of fun. It was my twenties. It was a lot of fun. Oh, you're so lucky. I'm so jealous. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> I, I love New York. I've, I've only ever been once. And uh, yeah, it was the middle of winter and about minus 12. Uh, but I just yeah I mean I grew up in London and I love London and I to be fair didn't think I would ever move out of London it wasn't until I had my daughter and thought I would you know I need some space I mm. actually moved um, but to go to New York it's it's just yeah a, a very exciting place to be so you were very lucky to spend your your 20s there so what made oh. you, what made you come back I did a master's I decided to uh to study, I don't know. I think there'd always been this thing in my mind uh, because I'd only supposed to have been gone for nine months. There was always this thing in my mind of like, well, you've got to go back one day, but like, you're not supposed to be here. You've got to go back. Um, and I did go back at one point and it just was all wrong. I'd, I'd created a life in New York and I just left it behind thinking, well, I should go back to London, but I didn't really know why. Um, so I went back to New York and carried on with my lovely life. Um, but yeah, I, I'd got to a point where it felt like, it felt like I was lost, but it felt like I was lost because there were so many options in front of me. It felt like I was <clears throat> at a roundabout with so many roads off of it. And I just didn't know which one to go down. So I thought, okay, let me go down each of them a little bit and see where it leads me. And one of them was study. One of them was <clears throat> approaching performance and theater in a more theoretical way because I'd been to acting school, but other than that, all of my experience was practical. I'd just been grafting in the fringe theaters and the off-off-Broadway theaters and 
making weird performance art and you know doing all this crazy stuff and so I just decided to apply to a master's and then I got in uh, so yeah I decided to go down that road and see how it felt but that was in London so I moved back um, for that in 2015 that yeah. was yeah a while ago now and it's unusual to do a master's without doing doing the bachelor's beforehand I know that because I tried that and they wouldn't let me do it <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do a master's yeah. I said well no you haven't got a degree so you can't do that so I'm doing a, I'm doing a degree now in writing actually oh, fantastic. Uh, which is yeah is is enjoyable I do love it um so you came back and did your master's and so this obviously it would be great to know in terms of creativity and also in terms of, of how you think young people should look uh, uh, at their creativity um, if they are looking to go into a creative profession. Where did it start for you? Because I think it's really good for, for kids to kind of see, well, actually, I've, I, I'm not academic. The, the maths and the science is not necessarily something that I'm... I'm good at or I enjoy and I want to do this so, so where did it start for you and and how did you get sort of to to be performing and, and doing what you're doing now I wish I wish I knew the the spark or the moment um I grew up in a wonderful loving encouraging household uh which I'm very very lucky for and um my parents are both creative in very different ways. My dad um, was a salesperson um, and there is so much creativity in that, the way that he uses language, the way that he communicates to sell an idea to somebody. Um, and, you know, I think creativity, so much of it is creating new answers and, what you were saying about my degree, I think I, I was like, well, I want to create the, an answer that is yes to this question of can you do a master's without a bachelor's? I want to present to them an argument that is I'm worthy of your education, even though I didn't do the, th the theory, I've got all the practical. Um, so my dad was so creative in that kind of way. And then my mum has so many talents in music, in, uh, in movement. She's a, a yoga teacher and Pilates teacher and personal trainer still now. And she, you know, would get up in front of a room full of people every day to teach them, which is performance completely. Um, and then my sister is six years older than me and she's a very talented, she, she was, um, she went to dance school, like an incredible dancer. Um, so I had different examples of creativity around me, I suppose, as I was growing up. Um, but the thing that, I think the thing that probably made the biggest difference was, um, so the area that I grew up in, in London, the London borough there is called Redbridge. And walking distance from my house growing up was Redbridge Drama Centre. And they had um, Redbridge Youth Theatre Workshop, which was um, a youth theatre group. And I joined it when I was 14, which was as soon as I could join it, I joined it. And I was part of it until I was 19. I did it for five years. We did shoot two shows a year. Um, our kind of group leader, Chris Bocking, um, 
just trusted me. He put so much trust in me. He pushed me. He made me sing in front of people, which I hated him for. But I, you know, then I was able to do it. And I got the confidence to do it. And I'm so glad I did. He cast me in this really intense role when I was 14 in my first ever production there. And I was kind of like, whoa, really? And clearly he was like, yeah, really, you can do it. So I think, you know, having the support and trust of adults was quite significant for me, I think. Um, But it was taking that trust and putting the trust into myself that was the key probably. And I think that's a that's a lifelong lesson. I don't think that we ever stop doing that. When I was at that performance that night of of um, of our show, when the, the New Yorkers were doing it, and they said we've got auditions tomorrow morning, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to stand up and introduce myself and say I want to do this if I hadn't have just done a masters and I hadn't have put the the trust in myself that I could, that I would be able to step up to the plate and create an original two minute long piece in the space of nine hours before I went to my audition the next morning. Um, so I think, I don't know, I feel like a bit of a, a charlatan giving advice to young people about <laughs> how to, how to, you know, believe that they are able to have a, a, a job in the creative arts. But I think creativity is just, it's doing things differently, whether that's thinking differently or acting differently or making differently. It's collaborating with people you've never collaborated before because that collaboration has never happened. Or it's, yeah, it's, it's finding a new answer to the same question. And actually that's one of the things that COVID has been, obviously everything that has been happening has been awful and the loss of life and the effect on people's mental health. Um, So it feels strange saying a silver lining, but it has been incredible to have so many new problems to solve because people are given the opportunity to pioneer new solutions because they're problems we've never had to deal with before. And that I think is incredibly creative. And I suppose just the reminder to everybody that you don't have to work in the theater to be creative. I think there's creativity in, pretty much every job that anybody could ever do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's, yeah. you know, all the, the, the people that I've spoken to uh, through doing this podcast, no matter what they do, so, and sales, the last uh, podcast that's coming out on Monday, uh, it, her father ran a sweet shop and sold sweets when she was growing oh. And that's where her love of sales came from. And his creativity around collaboration and conversation and, you know, how, how he interacted with people was how, where she got her creativity from, in, you know, in order yeah. to be able to, to sell stuff. So I absolutely see where that, where that comes from. Um, and I think that's, that's it. It's, it's getting young people to just understand that creativity is not about being an artist and not about being able to draw or perform or you know it's about solving problems it's about exactly as you say it's you know finding those new ideas to to old problems or you know that sort of innovation I think there's going to be so much innovation that comes out of the last year because people have had to adapt and had to look at how they can solve problems in different ways so I think that's hope so Yeah. yeah Yeah, I think it's also, um, you know, when we audition people for Degenerate Fox, one of the questions we ask is, 
what what can you bring that nobody else can or what can you bring that we don't have in the company already and maybe that's your best friend owns a brewery and you can get us some cheap beer for a fundraiser or maybe it's um you know html and you can like help us build a website or you know it, it could be anything just yeah. thinking you know what what's different about me because the difference is what adds the value yeah absolutely i mean and, and i know about fundraising for plays as well <laughs> i know that that you have to be very creative to work out how you know you're going to get people to fund your next production i know that for very sure. well yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the lockdown, you are putting yourself out there because you are in the process of training to be a vaccinator. So how did that come about? What? Yeah. Uh, well, it's very different, isn't it, to, <laughs> to what I've, I've done in my life so far and what I've been trained to do. Um, I, I think like a lot of people, I just want to help. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of how difficult this year has been and um, and how so many people have suffered and how the NHS has been incredible. And, you know, we're, we're so lucky to have our NHS. And I, for the majority of lockdown, I was living very, very, very lucky to be living at home with my parents. Um, so had um, lockdown with them and was able to go to the supermarket so they didn't have to and stuff like that. Um, and I wanted to help in some way, but I was prioritising their safety because I didn't want to be going out and interacting. Uh, but I moved late 2020 and thought, well, I can do something now. And I thought long and hard about how I wanted to help. And um, for me, in this kind of, you know, talking about what makes you different, I really love people. I love interacting with people and talking to people and and trying to just give a little bit of joy or warmth to somebody's day. Uh, maybe it's my years of working in a restaurant, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it, in my thinking about it, it occurred to me that everybody getting this kind of first wave of the vaccine, a, a lot of them have been shielding for the majority of lockdown and won't have had much human interaction. And there must be so many NHS workers who are overworked and exhausted. And I thought, well, let me go into some fresh blood. And even if it's a 90 second interaction and that's all I get with them and I'm gonna give them this injection and give them a little piece of hope with this vaccine, which I very much believe in. Um, hopefully I can give them a smile as well, or I can just give them a little bit of warm human interaction. Um, so that's, that's how it started. Now I've started my training and it is oh, very thorough. Um, I'm learning some real science and biology and immunology. And, right. and I had massive imposter syndrome as soon as I started because I was like, oh God, science, I'm not a scientist. And, and then I had to go, wait a second, I've got a master's. Like, I can do this. Like if I if I just work hard, if I focus, then I can do it. I've just got to believe that. I've got to say goodbye to my inner critic and hello to my inner coach and just, um, you know, I want this. I want to make it work and I want to do the best I can at it because the reality was brought home to me in my training that a vaccinee's conversation with me could be the reason that they decide to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And I would hate to be the reason that someone would choose not to. So, yeah, I'm just 
I'm working very hard at something new, which in of itself feels like a privilege after so much of sameness, I'm getting to learn brand new things. So I feel yeah. very lucky for that. I can't, I can't wait to get started, honestly. No. Oh, and thank you. Thank you for doing it. Cause I, I'm sure there's, you know, millions of us all out there kind of going, oh God, can't imagine. <laughs> going through that and, and putting a needle in people's arms but well done you well done fabulous well I'm happy to help yeah well we've we've chatted on for for ages and I could talk to you all day because yeah you're so doing what I'd, I'd love to be doing so tell us what Degenerate Fox is up to now and what you're looking forward to once lockdown is over and uh, and where, where does Degenerate Fox go to from here yeah well um, so we're performing online. We just had uh, shows this weekend, this past weekend, um, which were all around, it was 30 plays about love, sex and relationships. So our show's called The Dirty 32, and this was The Dirty 32, The Flirty 30. Mm -hmm. um, we've got our shows in March, so that's March 5th and 6th. That's going to be um, 30 plays for International Women's Day. So it's going to be 30 plays celebrating everything female, femme, feminine and feminist, um, which can be wonderful. We'll be having a fundraiser for a charity alongside that as well. In April, uh, we're celebrating our fourth birthday, which is hard to believe <laughs> when we haven't seen each other in so long. Um, but that's going to be um, the Dirty 32 revolution. So it's all going to be about activism and transformation and about another revolution around the sun for us. And then we'll be doing our pride shows in uh, in June, which are always lots and lots and lots of fun, very colourful and joyful. Um, and then it's it's an interesting time for everybody, I think, because we've been reactive since lockdown began because we just don't know what to expect. And now we're kind of strategizing to say, okay, well, we don't know when this will end, but we know that it will end. So we're trying to prepare ourselves for that really. And being able to just push the button whenever the button is able to be pushed. And part of that is um, perhaps an optimistic look at doing summer shows this year, um, but looking at taking our show out into communities. So having them outside, um, looking at areas that you know, one of the amazing things about how we make theatre, and we, we do a lot of education workshops, we work with young people quite a lot and go into schools. And something I always try to hammer home is that because you are you and you are here and the time is now and you are really doing what you're doing, you don't need a set, you don't need props, you don't need amazing lighting or you don't have to make it look like it's night time or, we can perform our show anywhere. Um, so we're really trying to take that and run with it and, and go into areas that people wouldn't have been able to access our show before. Um, and the hope is that we'll be in a situation in the warmer months where people can congregate at a distance, but outside yeah. and be able to have a bit of fun and watch our wild show. Yeah. No, that sounds brilliant. That's what I was going to say. I'm sure that's that was where you were going with it because that's yeah, that's a perfect mm -hmm. idea. I once performed a play. Actually, I think I did costumes and set. I don't think I performed in that one. But it was in a uh, in a graveyard in Clap Clapton <laughs> in East London. Amazing. Obviously, after dark, it was yeah, it was very strange. Uh, but yeah, very dramatic <laughs> setting. Graveyard, it, was called, isn't it? it was a melodrama called Black Eyed Susan. 
Yes, very old, very dark. Excellent. Oh, well, it's been brilliant having you here with me today, Aww. Laura. Um, and I'm really looking forward. I will be there watching uh, in March for, for International Women's Day. I'm really looking forward to that. And I know in terms of fundraising, I'm sure you're always uh, looking for fundraising. So if there's, uh, can people contact you? Is there a donation button on your on your website? To yeah, so we've got um, on our website, degeneratefox.com, we've got um, a Kofi, so you can buy us a coffee. You can just chuck us three quid if you fancy buying an artist a coffee and contributing to what we do. And uh, we've got a Patreon, so you can become a, a patron of our company for as little as five pounds a month. And that gives you automatic access to all of our performances. So um, it's actually really good value to be able to do it. Um, but also we offer um, private workshops and private shows as well, whether it's a birthday party, a corporate engagement, we do writing workshops, workshops in finding your voice through our particular aesthetic, which is really an incredible way to access it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's various ways people can support us, but really just coming to see the show and coming to say hi after show in the little Zoom hangout afterwards and becoming part of our community would be an amazing support as well. Brilliant. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I will come to your after show as well. You yeah. try and stop me. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Laura, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe, follow or like. And if you'd like more information on me or my guests, or would like to know how we could work together, then visit the website www.atticasarts.com. I'd love to hear from you. Take care.